Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown. Today I'll be talking to the author of Using Technology, Building Democracy, Digital Campaigning, and the Construction of Citizenship. The book is published by Oxford University Press this year, and the author is Jessica baldwin Philippi. I hope that you really enjoy this interview that I did with her today. Welcome back to the podcast. Again, my name is Heath Brown, and I have the real pleasure today to talk to the author of Using Technology, Building Democracy, Digital Campaigning, and the Construction of Citizenship. The book is published by Oxford University Press, and the author is Jessica baldwin Philippi. Jessica, how are you doing today? I'm great. Good to talk to you today, Heath. Yeah, it's a real pleasure. Pleasure to have you on. Uh, It's a pleasure to have read the book. Before we get to the book, uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself, where you are, where you've been, anything you'd like to share. Okay, that sounds good. Um, I'm currently an assistant professor um, at Fordham in the um, Department of Communication and Media Studies here. Um, I've been here for just over a year. Um, but of course, the book uh, started as a dissertation. I did my doctoral work at Northwestern, um, kind of straddling these two calm departments of media, technology, and society, and rhetoric and public culture there. And in between those two places, I was at Emerson College for two years as a visiting assistant professor and was really lucky to kind of have it be a postdoc of sorts where I got to do lots of research um, and spend a lot of time researching with the engagement game lab there also. It's um, well, you must be very pleased to have the book out so soon and and (laughs) such an interesting book and obviously so timely. Uh, This is a book, as we talked about earlier, that fits into a larger uh, Oxford series on digital politics. And as, as I mentioned to you, we've had a number of the uh, previous authors in the series on the podcast to talk about their work. I wonder to start us off, if you can just talk a little bit about what makes this book different than those others. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, so this book, I think at its core, that the kind of emphasis on citizenship is what what makes it different from, especially from Dave Karp and Dan Kreese and Jenny Stromergalley, um, from those books, that that while those books are about kind of sets of practices, uh, Dave's is not so much about campaigns per se, but um, about kind of sets of practices and what's changing, that mine's about that, and then kind of take that as a jumping off point to enter into these conversations as of, well, well, what are we as citizens today? What are we kind of, how are we asked to be political? Um, and that was kind of what I saw as the novelty of my book, not only inside of the series, but, but in kind of political communication circles as a whole. Yeah. And you use the phrase in the title, building democracy. Mm-hmm. How, how broad or, or narrow is your definition of democracy in the book? Um, I would say very broad. Um, I'm very much uh, always thinking about kind of little d democracy and all of the kind of opportunities that it has to spring up, really. That's what I'm most interested in. Um, And actually, if you look at kind of the body of my research, campaigns are the most overtly political place I've ever been. um, But I've been interested in these questions of citizenship 
insofar as kind of how video games can construct us as citizens, or now I'm researching how um, local government asks us to engage that way. But the campaigns are like so clearly <laughs> concerning themselves mm-hmm. with that question, um, but that it's not about the process of voting, um, that, it's, that I'm much more interested in all of these little ways that we act as kind of political animals on a much smaller scale on a much regular basis also. Right. Now, what type of research did you do to write this book? We have these other books that we've heard about. You, were, you refer to this research as ethnographic. Yes. Uh, what, is, what does that mean for the questions you asked mm-hmm. and for the way in which you tried to answer those questions? Yeah. Um, so it is, it is ethnographic kind of at its core, although interestingly, most of the, um, the data and kind of the facts and information that are popping up in the book and that I'm using to make these arguments were largely from interview-based research also. So a little bit different than just ethnographic work um, and then analysis of the actual text too. So, but, but by bringing those things together and by putting the ethnography of like one specific campaign in 2010 at the core, um, the reason why I did that and what I felt it offered was to really get at kind of these questions of, A, what is actually happening right now, uh, which that was up for grabs then, um, but also the why question. Um, the ethnographic element especially let me focus on or let me recognize kind of these four like phenomenon that, that I had no idea were happening in campaign offices, um, but then it turned out they were happening across the country. Um, and that, you know, other political scientists or other comm scholars hadn't been asking about these questions either yet because nobody really knew they were there. Um, so the ethnographic approach really, um, and, and the qualitative approach broad, more broadly even too, um, but that both of those, I feel really got, really allowed me to, um, to ask that question of, well, what is going on here? And then we can get to other kind of research questions further down the line versus just being able to answer is a thing we know to ask about present or absent, right? Um, or why is it happening or who is doing it to say, hold up, we actually have no idea what's going on <laughs> in this whole new world. We need to find that out first. Right. So, so um, in specific terms, we don't get to find out exactly where you were, yes. <laughs> but, um, but, and which I'm not definitely not going to ask you to, to divulge, but, but maybe you could just tell us what, what you did divulge in terms of what, what you did. Were you, in the office? Were you playing a role? Were you coming in and out? How, do, how does this work? Because I, I think a lot of people kind of know somewhat about ethnographic research, but, but would be very curious. So, you know, did they let you in on meetings? Were you looking at the emails? How does, how does this functionally work for you? Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great question. Um, and it is, I think, a little bit different in kind of all ethnographies, what you get to do, basically. Um, I considered myself a participant researcher and focused on that role and uh, kind of from the get-go, and had always said that I will do work for you, like I'm happy to um, especially do kind of monkey work for you that doesn't require a lot of critical thinking. I don't want to put my ideas about what should go here, Um, but if you give me instructions, I will do those things, Um, and that that both, you know, gave me some credibility there. I was there from August until the end of the campaign, Um, early August. And so that over time that I was led into these things, too. Um, Originally, and this is maybe getting into the nitty gritty, but especially if if any people planning research projects are listening, 
Um, originally, I thought, oh, great, it would be amazing to be in many in multiple campaigns at once, but that that would have really kind of killed the credibility that people wouldn't have wanted to let me in. Um, mm-hmm. And so that by being in one, making people feel secure that I was on their team helping to some degree, even if it was making copies and, and transcribing things, um, as it often was, um, that that, you know, I was part of the team also. And that yeah, over time, it did become part of that. And so so it was being on email chains and seeing what other uh, what other parts of the campaign were creating and stuff like that. Now, you refer to digital campaigning, digital politics as an incremental innovation mm-hmm. and, and campaigns as as, quote, notoriously risk averse. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by this? Because most people would say, wait, technology is moving so quickly and, and everything's you know happening. And this week it's this and next week it's that. You seem to come down in a slightly different way. What, tell us about this incremental innovation. Yeah, I think there are kind of two levels to the incrementalness of it all. Um, at one point, part of it is that all of this technology is kind of cumulative, um, that there are very impressive uh, political consultants, you know, working at the highest levels of presidential races, the most kind of important Senate ones, things like that, um, that are still very, very much of the mindset that email is king, um, right? It's not all about all of these new technologies. We've had email for a while. It's not that mm-hmm. interesting to us anymore. Um, and, you know, and if you look back at the history of this all to realize that we didn't have, you know, our data set up, or at least on the Democratic side, didn't have data set up in a clear and usable way until the mid 2000s is kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and to, to see how slow and painfully slow it was. And, you know, kind of on the flip side, that is what has been happening on the right, you know, in the past, I guess, you know, four years ago, especially to say, oh, my gosh, we are so far behind because we haven't developed a lot of these um, capacities. Um, but there's a different way that it's incremental also. And that's to say that both especially the public discourse, but also academic study also um, focuses on the presidential more than anything else. Um, and so my book focuses on the midterm elections in particular, but so that means looking at federal stuff um, and and these campaign offices that might have very qualified people, but those who are not at the upper most, you know, kind of highest echelon and that that the trickling down of practices is is slow there, that in 2010, everybody knew they had to be using digital technology, but they really did not have any idea about how to go about that in this like kind of systematic way that we associate with um, that we associate with the Obama campaign of 2008 or both the Romney and Obama campaign of 2010 Um, stuff's much more up in the air and still not decided. And people are still figuring out what to do. And is there a specific case where, where you, you saw the risk aversion lead to the campaign decide not to do something or, or to do something kind of just in the obviously wrong way that you had to either bite your lip and say, okay, I just can't, I can't tell them that this is either really bad idea or they really should consider this vendor who's going to be, uh-huh. you know, is really offering a good price or something. Are there any, any uh, sort of specific anecdotes that stick out to you that, that drive home this risk aversion? Yeah. Um, one was, one is a recurring anecdote that's not only from ethnographic work, but from many, many interviews is less about risk av- aversion kind of overtly and more about like the um, 
just the entropy of, of not doing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that when faced with a tool that you don't know how to use or that you, that you know how to use um, in a common everyday way, but you don't know the theory of change behind that you haven't thought deeply about in that way, um, that it's hard to arrive at a yes answer. And so repeatedly you would see um, somebody in a campaign saying, oh, can I post this on Facebook? Oh, can I do this? And it'd be like, mm, no, mm, I don't think that fits. Ugh, I don't know why. Um, that there weren't rules for what made good and what made bad content yet. And so, so that something wouldn't get posted for a while as a result. Um, and so kind of that level of just, well, we don't really know what to do, so well, we won't make a post right now. Um, right. That that certainly happened. Um, another, uh, another, rather than I guess it's not a, it's not kind of a slow thing, but the the wrong decision. Um, that there were campaigns that tried to, they knew that people were getting press coverage for being for having a lot of Facebook friends, um, and they were like, oh, we can get our message out, so we should buy Facebook friends. Um, and that was probably the biggest error that I had heard of um, in the course of conducting the research because it resulted in a in campaigns then um, getting a lot of of people who had no interest in politics at all and were also not even usually not from the region, but not from the country. And they had to manually delete them from all of their content so that it wouldn't mess up their, their numbers um, so they could figure out how they were actually breaking through. So not only was it kind of a bad move at one level, but it had all these trickle down terrible effects too. Right. Now the, 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 the medium of Facebook comes up a lot in the book. Mm-hmm. And I was just wondering, is this, you know, is this sort of coincidental to it being a 2010 mm-hmm. examination in, in table 5.1 of the book, you, you contrast some of the different candidate Facebook pages. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that is, is, is that the, the technological point we were at, at, in, in that election? And, and what, what did you discover when you when you tried to uh, look at these different Facebook pages and see what they had to do? Um, yeah, uh, it, this book, did, I did not set out for it to be kind of a study of how people use social media at all. Um, yet it, it kind of kept becoming that. And I tried mm-hmm. to make it not that um, by kind of starting from starting with chapters that were not about that type of content. Um, but because of the moment in time and kind of the post Obama 08 was, oh, my gosh, we need to use social media. Um, and so that is the way that a lot of campaigns, you know, ended up going for in order to kind of perceive themselves as innovative, too. Um, so I do think it's a, it's a moment in time. But that's also to say um, that that moment has not passed yet either, um, at least not in 2014. It hadn't. Um, and so that that we are still, you know, that more has been figured out, but that there are still kind of grappling with this general kind of type of medium. Um, in terms of in 2010 and what the book lays out is the real confusion about what content should be in these social spaces. Um, there, you know, there were people just duplicating content from Facebook and Twitter, not using those tools differently at all. Um and then that about part that partway through the campaign, I don't know if it was half or, you know, farther toward the end, that, that campaigns just kind of naturally started to figure out what, quote, unquote, worked in this space. That usually meant what got more likes and shares, because um, that is easily visible uh, to them. Um, but they began to say, oh, we can't post any content to Facebook without a picture. 
um, that that was what began to kind of make content, um, at least in my ethnographic research and and in the interview based stuff that other campaigns were echoing this too, saying that, oh, yes, that images really drove this. And if you look at just the sheer content as kind of the table that you're alluding to does, um, that that image driven content became a really important thing for sure, that image driven stuff, but also that was about kind of connecting with the viewer, kind of treating them as as being on the virtual rope line, if you will, um, kind of being behind the scenes, doing that handshaking and kind of baby kissing in the social media arena, which doesn't seem super surprising for social media. Um, it seems pretty appropriate, in fact. Um, what I thought was interesting about that is not just that they were using it in this way that, um, that quite frankly, makes sense and seems like a pretty good use of the tools, um, but that they were then using this to mobilize people. That so these uh, this communication kind of based content that was usually usually comms is making content that was uh, to persuade people and that here they were really using this and creating this content to mobilize them to either come into the office, um, you know, share a page, come do with some other donate money. Um, one of my favorite uses of some of these behind the scenes um, Facebook posts were like, pictures of of a campaign office saying, hey, can you help us? Can you donate $20 for the stapler, right, that was in that picture of the behind the scenes? Um, and so that they were really using what we would consider as appropriate social content for our kind of new purpose to mobilize rather than persuade. And is this is this the construction of citizenship that that you refer to in your 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 um, your title? Yes. Um, exactly. are, are, were the are these campaigns um, intentionally trying to construct citizenship, or or is that not is this a sort of piece of this just not something that they are um, uh, conscious enough about to to really think about, and and it's something more that we sort of take away from, or is or is the idea of you know constructing these communities and and building democracy as you use in the title uh, a part of what they were trying to do. Um, well, so my my overarching kind of argument is that this is always happening rather full of uh, whether it is full of intent or not, um, and that each and every one of the texts that a campaign creates and all of the media channels and technologies that it uses to do so are doing this construction work. Um, and that when asked about it after the fact, they they like to, you know, they like that um, and that everybody who works in a campaign does want to think of themselves as kind of these people for democracy. Right. Um, it's not an easy job. You do it because you want to um, to help in whatever kind of sense of democracy your your just your definition might be. Um, but that it's certainly not conscious at the level of when you're creating when they are creating the Facebook post. And that was the thing that in my ethnographic work that I was actually a little bit frustrated by. Um, I expected some the book opens with my my frustrations of expecting people to have this very high kind of level language of, of what they were trying to do and, and what they wanted democracy to be. Um, and that isn't that just isn't present. There isn't enough time in the day um, of a campaign cycle to have those conversations as you're creating that content. Now, the the book is out and we are in the midst of a of a new campaign. But as you mentioned at the start, your next book project is not a 
campaign project. It is something else. Would you just share with us a little bit about what, what your next research project is focusing on? Yes, I will. I will also say that I didn't feel as if I could completely abandon um, the campaign stuff altogether. There are some uh, connecting the dots from 2014, especially on kind of where I leave off at the end in terms of analytics and how campaigns are becoming kind of obsessed with analytics um, and figuring out how to use them. And in some cases, thinking that they have more uh, cachet and knowledge that they might because of these analytics. Um, but so that there's some of that left over. But you're right that um, mostly um, I have become kind of I've become pretty interested in uh, this idea of civic technology and how uh, local governments are using tech to engage with their constituents in new ways. Um, and really, at its core, it has the same central question of, well, what does this mean for citizenship and what, what does it mean for how we can be local political actors? Um, but the setting is really these municipal innovation offices. Um, and when I was in Boston, I spent two years there and got to work kind of firsthand with the innovation office in the city of Boston, um, the mayor's office of Newark Mechanics there, um, and collaborated with them to study what the city was doing, how it was engaging citizens, um, how well it was engaging citizens, but also kind of what new measures might you use for engaging, right? Um, I am of the disposition that that when we, how often we vote and how often we or how much we trust the government are, are fine measures, but that we need more now, um, that we need a lot kind of, of newer things that we're focusing on. And so working with them, trying to, um, trying to test tools that they had developed and also to think about what new types of, of tech could engage citizens in new ways. Um, and so the next project is really even a bigger picture look. Um, than just kind of the one-off studies that I've been kind of concerned with. But really, how are these big cities with major innovation offices, how are they doing this work? How do these innovation offices look different? Um, so it's kind of going to be an organizational story to some degree, too. What do they look like? How does that change what type of politics they're doing um, and what kind of ways they're engaging their citizens? Well, I can't wait for that. Uh, I enjoyed uh, your current book, which is using technology, building democracy, digital campaigning, and the construction of citizenship, published by Oxford University Press this year. Jessica, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, Dave.